When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. Today's host is someone I go way back with. His name is Sean Cardinale. Sounds like a baseball player. He's a coach, writer, and activist who returned to coaching on sex and love addiction at the outset of the pandemic after a four-year hiatus. He speaks the language, and his coaching style tends to lean toward 12-step recovery, which saved his own life and livelihood 14 years ago. He's also very transparent. Sean earned his local certification through Linda Bark's Holistic Coaching Methodology and is pursuing his ICF certification and a degree in social work. So beyond sex and love addiction, Sean's practice focuses on intimacy, relationships, divorce, dating, and the creative process. Enjoy Sean Cardinale. Hi, everyone. It's Sean Cardinale. Welcome back to the Single on Purpose uh, podcast series. I am. It's a pleasure for me to introduce everybody to Christina Fitch, who I met in this lovely community of therapists and coaches and colleagues. Uh, and uh, welcome, Christina. Thank you, Sean. I'm glad to be here. Um, Christina and I were talking recently and just met recently and we're talking recently um, about our interests inside and outside of coaching. Christina's a therapist. I'm not. I'm a coach. And I will give everybody a, a quick rundown of your history, Christina, in a second. Um, but what you and I were hooked into pretty quickly the other day talking was about um, social justice and our socio-political uh, world, landscape, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, city, country, world. And we started to question and talk about how or if there can be any kind of overlap in our therapy, coaching, self-care, wellness, mindfulness world, mm -hmm. if there can be any overlap with that and with you know, sociopolitical matters, because these are very sensitive topics, deep topics, fraught topics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we, you and I just riffed like we barely knew each other. And then we're like, okay, we need to talk offline and, and continue yeah. this conversation. We decided to bring it to this podcast. <laughs> so it's funny. You, um, you I want to give everybody an introduction for you, but yeah. Yeah. You, you say deep topics. Well, you Go know, right ahead. I, 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 my specialization for my degree was depth psychology. Um, so for me, all of this overlaps and I can't, nice. 
I can't, it's for me at least, I can't be the therapist that I strive to be without having these hard conversations. Because for me as a mm-hmm. marriage and family therapist, these are the topics that destroy friendships. These are the topics that destroy mm. marriages. These are the topics that destroy family relations. I don't know about you, but I mean, there's been a lot of conflict within my family, um, within a lot of my friend circles. Um, I There's a lot of friends that I don't even talk to a lot anymore because you know, for me, I can be very neutral, not necessarily neutral, but understanding because I under like that. And, and we'll get into that. But um, they they just there there's the people who cannot like differing opinions. Nope. Sorry, we can't. We can't have that. Um, and, you know, right, we, right. we are talking a little bit about cancel culture. And these are things that will literally make people cancel others out of their lives. And that doesn't, that doesn't do well for anything in regards to therapy, you know, being a therapist, we're all about bringing people together and healing wounds and teaching and people bring, how to and communicate. Them to the floor. Yeah. Like having, having healthier communication right. and learning how to be accepting of differences and, you know, things like that. So for me, all of it overlaps. That's a, that's a, where, see where we're going, everybody. We have plenty to talk about. So let me give um, everybody a quick introduction to you and then update me if any of the information that I have is erroneous or, you know, again, dated. So uh, Christina is an associate marriage and family therapist and a spiritual life coach. Her life experience combined with her clinical training offers a unique approach to addiction, ADHD, trauma, and life transitions. Uh, you've got a master's in clinical psychology, specializing in spiritual and depth psychology from Antioch University. Uh, your undergraduate specialization was in mindful psychology. Uh, uh, and the way you practice, you combine uh, gestalt, uh, Jung, humanism, feminism. Uh, you li- you, I like this part about what you do. You, you work on integrating the client's spiritual or religious beliefs um, and helping uh, to anger the client a sense of security and help contain them during moments of dysregulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, your research uh, and understanding of psychedelic therapies also adds a new approach and perspective to healing, anxiety, depression, and addiction. So um, thank you. And again, welcome. Oh, wait, and you also incorporate astrology and Reiki. Yes. So there's, you got a lot going on. You've got a big, <laughs> like John says, John Kim says, you got a big sandbox to play in. Yes. Yes, my sandbox is very big. I'm actually um, I'm currently um, in school with Deborah Silverman um, to become a certified astrologer. So, very nice, very nice. I'm a Sagittarius. You'll have to tell me uh, what the hell is coming up for me next. Once, ah, well, I <laughs> once have to look at your the show, stuff. not right. for this show. <laughs> <laughs> I even know the exact time I was born. But anyway, that's a whole other, you know, when we were talking before the podcast, we're like, we got to be careful with tangents because you and I could probably riff forever. But the way we came about this again was a a small little blip came up on a a group conversation. Um, I shared recently on Instagram on my um, page or whatever it's called um, that, that as a coach, I'm not a therapist like you, but as a coach, 
who works with um, intimacy, vulnerability, sex and love addiction. Um, a lot of what I'm working on and with people uh, is intimacy, honesty, trust, vulnerability. A lot of the stuff that even Brene Brown, right? Like a lot of her thing is vulnerability and shame, vulnerability and shame. And, I, and I'm always tapping back on that because of the specifics of where I work, addiction, divorce, et cetera. But then I also have been very vocal, as it seems like you are in your life, in your world, about my um, sociopolitical beliefs. And I also work, besides being a coach, I work for a nonprofit that's right in, you know, the densest, most diverse, uh, uh, most polyglot, you know, many languages part of Albuquerque. Um, we have people walking in every day. Uh, who are about to get kicked out? They're about to. They're precariously housed, or they're living in their cars. Uh, we gave a bunch of food just randomly from a lunch we had just two days ago to a woman who walked in off the street, had her kids in the car, and we were finishing with a lunch from right this big Italian restaurant. We had all these pans of food out and everything, and she was like, "I'm out of my ass. I got locked out by the sheriffs." Um, and the reason why I'm going down this tangent is because day in and day out that reality is right in my face. Mm -hmm. And it's also something that I have been attuned to as a black man anyway mm -hmm. in America. And so our conversation started to really sprout when we were like, can we bring these or is it appropriate or how or if and when can we bring up the sort of outside world perspectives or when is it appropriate to bring up these perspectives and conditions and concerns as a therapist or as a coach, we're working with individuals, but there are systemic issues to talk about. Mm -hmm. And we're bringing it up on single on purpose because single reminded me of individual and each person brings their, right, their personal history and lived experience to bear in these sessions. And as a matter of fact, Christina, you had just told me about um, a client of yours who was like not trying to bring up a background or a context or a history. Mm -hmm. um, if you wanted to share a little bit about that and what you thought about that in the larger context we're talking about. So, yeah, it, it was very interesting. And I obviously I can't share a lot. Um, I, I really can't share much of anything. Um, but, uh, you know, it was very telling um, the, this client, the, the, the very first session, they I am not going to go into my childhood. There's nothing there. It has nothing to do with why I'm here. And I'm okay. I met them where they were and over it, we, we worked with each other two, two years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and the childhood did end up coming up and they had some of their biggest breakthroughs when those things came up and we would, we had a really good relationship. We would joke around a lot and, um, they, they, they called, they told me I was sneaky because, um, I knew that they needed to look at their childhood, even though they didn't want to. And somehow I was able to sneak it in. And I was like, well, I think it's interesting that you use the, the terminology because I wasn't sneaking anything in. I'm like, it just went that way. Um, because, the things that they would talk about, I would have to ask questions. And when I was asking the questions, they would be going into their childhood. Um, but we, uh, they, we separated as client um, and therapist 
for um, like financial reasons. Um, it wasn't that we like didn't get along. We we separated on really good terms. Um, but they were, they're doing really well. They were doing really well. They ended like it, towards the end of our sessions, they ended up bringing in two of their family members so that I could help communicate to these family members best ways to help support this client mm. and explain to them a little bit about what was actually going on for this client and help the client communicate like their needs. And it really brought the family together. That's, uh, that's, I'm glad that it ended that way. And that reminds me of, again, the broader context we keep referencing, which is um, if we, my social theory is that if we don't look back, and I, and I think you believe very similarly, if we don't look back, um, how can we move forward? Uh, yeah. I believe if we don't have conversation, there'll be conflagration, right? Things will just explode. <clears throat> and and even in the example you just gave, like the people who had had a personal history with this um, client of yours were availed that history, the work that person was doing, mm -hmm. and with you got a better sense of context and needs and challenges and triggers and this is precisely, Christina, what I don't think we do mm -mm. in the larger sociopolitical context. I believe right. we are ahistorical. Yep. And and because we keep and that and that means not historical. And because we don't um pay more attention to the history, the personal history that led us here to this moment, yep. um then then we keep it's it's that typical doom to repeat it, you know, uh right. uh that you see everywhere. We're just doomed to repeat this and this. In. Right. And so it's the same with our clients, I believe. And, and like mm -hmm. you, I can't, I can't force anybody. I wouldn't presume to force anybody to like, we're going to dig into something, you know, that you don't want to dig in. No, but it's like, mm, the more, like, like in your scenario, the more we work with a person, we're like, this stuff's going to come up. It's going to come up yeah. sideways. Or it's going to come up directly. And we will see, it, it will bring to bear that it's important to dig into. It will come shit. up in patterns. It'll come up in patterns in their life. They will compete. They will always be repeating patterns. I mean, we all have repeating patterns because we all have personality traits or aspects of us that are just, they're just part of us and they're never going to change no matter how much we try. Um, but being knowledgeable about them, being aware of them. Um, and then also if, if they're patterns that are stemmed in just taught behaviors, then that's one thing. If it's just a personality trait, that's another, right? Um, and I can go into that on a deeper level, but that's not what this podcast is for. Um, but yes, the whole, the whole, <laughs> well, I mean, you're speaking to like nature versus nurture, right? Like a personality mm -hmm. thing versus a, a learned thing or a taught thing. A hundred percent. Right. Um, but back to the looking at the past, like, you know, I get people all the time, like, why do you have to live? You, you just keep bringing up the past. You keep bringing up the past. Like, can't you just move forward? And like, you know, and then I get the, I thought you were a mindfulness person. It's like, yeah, very much a mindfulness person. But part of the mindfulness practice that I use is I have to look at the past to understand why and how I got to where I am in the present so that I can 
decide how I want to be moving forward and what I want to incorporate or what I need to leave behind, what I maybe need to forgive others for, what I need to forgive myself for. Um, do I have to, like, are there people that I have to have maybe hard conversations with or, you know, it, it, so many things, right? But if we don't, at least, I don't want to stay in the past. Actually, that's why I'm wanting people to look at the past so we don't have to stay in the past, right? Because I feel like we are, in a lot of ways, I feel like we're in Groundhog Day. We're just, we're, we're just repeating the same mm. shit over and over. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but over like the last, probably like the last decade, I have been bored out of my damn mind with TV shows and movies because they're literally the same thing just presented in a different storyline. It's like, well, and also in, you know, John and I met uh, working in Hollywood and I still write screenplays and I still do a little production work and, and development work out here in the Southwest. And um, not only are they copying or reminiscent of everything, but there's very specific, I'm sure you've already caught on to this in the last decade. You know, there it's all about reboots. It's all about a, a yeah. remake, a reboot. You know, yeah. Charlie's Angels comes back around again. Starsky and Hutch is about to is about to start a new TV series, and that that already be the second reboot because there was the movie that was based on the TV series. So I, I don't, God, we again we could do five podcasts. That's a whole other tangent about you know is that worth it? Is it not? Is it boring? Don't we have new ideas? But you're right. When we get back to individual work clients. And when we're looking at the larger socio-political landscape, um, I really like how you referenced Groundhog Day because when um, when we started to see a spike, an early spike in say um, very hardcore like nationalist tendencies mm -hmm. around the country, I was like, oh, this is George Wallace all over again. And I don't mean the black comedian; I mean the white uh, governor. Uh, from the 50s and 60s, who was like, you know, segregation, uh, you know, now segregation today, segregation forever. I'm, I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but it was terrifying to me for two reasons. One, um, oh my God, we're back here again. And we're getting into the, at the time it was like the dawn of the 2020s. We're getting out of the teens and into the twenties. I was like, oh my God, we're going to do this again. And we only just barely got out of it. Like not even 60, mm -hmm. 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then, and then two, I thought, how is nobody calling this out for what it is? Why don't people see that this is the same thing and that if it wasn't healthy and good for us back then, it's mm. not going to be now. Plus we're more technically more pluralistic. There are more mixed people like me. There is a broader understanding and acceptance of LGBTQ, of, of, uh, of, of uh, race uh, and, and, ethnic matters and understanding and um, uh, also gender matters, right? We're, we're doing Me Too and we're opening up so many doors and, and, and broadening the spectrum socially in so many ways that then it is both astounding and makes sense to me that then there's this huge pushback from the, you know, the dominant culture from hegemony, from, right? Like the people who are not any of those groups that I just mentioned, who are like, oh shit, and they're holding on for power for dear life. And uh, maybe that plays out sometimes 
again, like you were saying, individualistically, one-on-one in, in, in a session where someone's like, hell no, I won't go. It's like, no, we, yeah. we got to talk about these patterns, right? Well, in this, I yeah. think this is a good time to talk too about, you know, when we, before we even started this, we were saying how there's not a lot of therapists or coaches talking about this because it's such a hard topic to talk about. Because again, that goes hand in hand with what we were also talking about with cancel culture. Because you say the wrong thing and everything about you is just gone. Like I have, um, mm. I know I know people, okay, who, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people. Uh, and, and actually the older I get and the more I look at my life, I'm like, Oh, wow. Okay. I, I'm realizing, and, and I'm not a huge fan of the term privilege because I think a lot of people, one, it triggers a lot of people because of how, it's not really explained well. And it just now, now it's like people hear privilege and it's just a trigger. Um, but I'm going to use it in this context because I'm realizing the level of privilege that I do have in certain ways, like I don't, there's a lot of ways that I do not have privilege, but there's all, but there are a lot of ways that I do. And one of the ways that I do is I actually am in contact with a lot of people who are either themselves in very powerful roles or know people who are in very powerful roles. Right. Um, and I'm I'm going there because the way so me, the Me Too movement, um, the just so much all, every everything that has come up and basically for me I started noticing it really heavily coming up starting in like 2012, but that's my own personal experience um, and. It's just looking at it where I was going with this is somebody that I know that I'm very close to has a very powerful position at a very, very well-known university and they see these issues in the university and they've been trying to bring awareness to it, but it's up until the last few months, it was one of those, um, those mentalities of, I can't talk about this. I can't bring this up because everybody is protected. Everybody's protected. And also because they don't want the, the work that some of these people have done to be canceled just because their name is on it. And I actually had conversations about the fact, okay, so if we have somebody who as a person has not been all that great, but the work they do is absolutely amazing, does all of their work have to get canceled because the person has not made such great decisions? Okay. And I feel like so, that just goes hand in hand this. with what we're talking about. So I appreciate everything you just said, and I'm going to share a sort of, I'm going to share a parallel understanding um, 
our understanding of it doesn't doesn't exactly line doesn't have to the point where the reason why we're having this conversation is for is to bring the shit to light and to do a little bit of the opposite of what you're saying which is again like i said if we don't converse uh we'll conflagrate right if we don't have these uncomfortable conversations uh, then we're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to sit in our little siloed pods of discomfort, mm-hmm. which builds to resentment, builds to further misunderstanding, um, and then to rancor, right? Yeah. So here's my understanding. And, and again, it's kind of how we, I'll try once I share and then you share back and I'll try to bring it back to our individual sessions. Um, in a way, a quick parallel I'll bring up is how do like people we're talking to about their dating or their social lives or their family life or their work life, you know, how do we listen to what they're sharing with us, the vulnerability they have in our sessions as therapist and coach, and then ask them to apply um, difficult tools, tools that are hard to wield. Uh, tools of communication, tools of forthrightness, tools of stand up for your fucking self, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, everyone, there's so much, so much walking on eggshells in our personal lives and also in our sociopolitical lives. And that's where I think I hear a little bit of what you're talking about with cancel culture, but let me draw a parallel. I'll, we'll get to privilege too, because holy fuck, that's a whole other pen. That's, we have like eight Pandora's boxes we're about to open. So as far as so as as far as cancel culture, let me let me put it. And, and, and you're talking about I, I presume you're talking about an academic uh, who is a little who is getting wary of what they say or do or what they share in class. So oh, actually, no, it's draw... not in class. This is their this is their career. It's not a, in class. It's their career. They just okay. work. They like work... they're like they're worried about what they what they publish. So it's, it's basically, um, the person that I know is an executive for a professor and they do a lot of research. What I was going to say was one cancel culture is not the, is not the sole domain of the left. Um, I would argue that the right does it the exact same thing, if not worse, because it's, it, well, I won't say worse or better, but does it in a different way. So for example, um, I would say a right-wing version of that is um, book banning. I mean, we are getting to late 1930s Germany when we're talking about what we can read, what mm-hmm. we can share, how we can share it, what are the implications. I mean, I'm a black man and I have no problem with Mark Twain being on the shelf in a kid's library, my kid's library. And if the N word is in there and I'm not going to say the real word, even though I've got license to, and maybe that's a whole other tangent and conversation. But if the N word in that book is, um, is contextual. And not only that, he's not using it like Quentin Tarantino used it for sort of shock value in Pulp Fiction, which is another conversation we had, we could have in the nineties, he was using it because the white characters and the black characters in his books in the South or wherever they were featured or, or were landing said the word because that's what it's about. Because it, because it's about and Jim and Huck and Tom Sawyer, right? It's about these people and how they identify themselves and also how the white people identified 
the black people. So there's, again, there's context. So, so to, to navigate that, well, to one, navigate that without context is fruitless. And then to just cut off the conversation by banning a book or shutting down a school board meeting or, you know, or, or again, we're talking, we're getting like physical threats of violence, right. And, yeah. and these kinds of things we have, a uh, uh, we have the speaker of the house husband was, was attacked recently here in New Mexico. We actually had, uh, an active shooter driving around who had lost his election and he was on the right and he had lost his election by a landslide. And this made national news. If you look it up just a few weeks ago, um, he lost by a landslide and he conspired and got nailed by both the local and federal authorities for going around and popping caps, shooting his guns um, into the homes of the people he lost to and the people he associated with them. And someone almost lost their, you know, their toddler because a bullet went through her room because this guy couldn't, you know, believed in the, in, in the, uh, uh, the theft, believed that the voting, you know, all the voting right. conspiracies that we hear about now. So, um, but back to cancel, right? So book banning is canceling laws, restricting, oh, say drag queens, that's mm -hmm. canceling. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important for people who want to dress in a certain way, whether you call it outre, outlandish, risque, whatever, why does that matter so much that you will really like you will you will put laws up as misdemeanors or even felonies for a certain behavior or celebration or really it's like vaudeville times 10. It's another form of, you know, entertainment. We have erotica. We have vaudeville. We have uh, stand up comedians. I mean, we can go on and on and on about where any of this cancel stuff can land. So I want to make it clear that. I do have an issue with, and I'm very left, if anyone can't tell by now, I do have an issue with um, folks not being able to express their point of view, regardless of where, which side or where on the political or sociopolitical spectrum it comes from. Just like I've said over and over again, I actually want to hear both mm -hmm. sides, all sides, and I'm not doing both sidesism because that's bullshit too. But um, I want to hear the opposition, the, the people who are opposed to, you know, or contrary to my beliefs, because then again, I have context. I have conversation. I have a way to form my arguments or listen to their arguments and have a debate or a conversation. Or if we are so locked apart, then we just walk away. Right. So yeah. that's one thing I just wanted to share based on, on what you were sharing. And, 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 and I get the fear in academia and, and in some quarters about like, oh my God, what I say is going to land. I, I don't think someone should be X'd out for years for having a contrary or even unfavorable or even racist opinion. I'm like, well, bro, you put it out there. So um, be careful what you ask for. On the other hand, I don't think that, and this goes back, I can, and I'll shut up in a second so you can get a word in edgewise, but this goes back to my coaching. Um, there'll be plenty of things that people say in my one-on-one -on -one sessions that are, I mean, I'm talking with sex and love addicts. I'm talking with folks who, and I'm listening to folks who have legal ramifications because of what they've done, child pornography, um, prostitution in a state where it's not legal, right? Illicit this or that, or even if it's stuff that's illicit, but not illegal cheating, right? Uh, 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 possibly spreading, you know, bodily disease around, you know, venereal disease. They call it VD back in our day. Now it's STI, not even STD anymore. 
So, right. So there are ethical and ethical concerns in those scenarios. And I have to just go, I think that's healthy or not. I'm not condemning you, but I will say, Ooh, that's, um, that's, uh, we can talk about where that's going to go because it might not go very well if you continue that behavior. And so again, I draw that back to the conversations we have on the socio-political tip. So I will stop my little soapbox and you had something that I'm sure you wanted to share. <laughs> well, so it, it's interesting. So like we were talking about cancel culture before we started this and, you know, obviously I'll share a lot of my story throughout, you know, our, our time, but, um, cancel culture for me, it, I, I, I had the, um, the pleasure of, I say pleasure because, um, it was definitely not pleasurable to experience what I experienced, but I'm very grateful to have experienced it, um, because it taught me a lot. Um, but I very much associate cancel culture with Scientology. Um, and cancel culture to me is not just about being right or left. Um, I honestly, I don't, I won't even, um, assign myself to a political party, um, because I go based on who the, uh, the person is in front of me. But even with that, um, I remember, I don't even remember what year it was, but it was probably a decade ago. There were um, a lot of things going around about how politicians should wear um, vests like uh, race car drivers so that we know who their sponsors are because we're not really voting for the politician. We're voting for all the people who pay that politician. Right. And nobody knows. Yeah, I hear that. Nobody, nobody knows who's actually funding because, you know, whoever is financially funding that politician, that's where that politician's mindset is going to go. And that is who they're going to be answering to. It's not to the people. Right. Um, so yep. we can, we can go into that a lot, but you were talking about, um, like, votes and things like that. And at some point, um, I'll explain why I'm reading this book, but I am gradually, very gradually reading this book called The Kennedys, Dynasty and Disaster. Um, and I have a person, it's a very personal reason why I'm reading this, but I'm trying to find in this book specifically it was interesting because obviously kennedy was a democrat um and he was very well known um the, now this is this goes back to the very beginning of the kennedys um to uh pj kennedy he was like the original kennedy here in america and here it says on the road to this great collective success they had stopped at nothing including stuffing the ballot box and buying votes don't get mad 
get even. Do to others or they will do to you. Win at all cost. That was the Kennedy's motto. So how much of that are we seeing in our political system? And what do you mean? I mean, what is the implication you're, what are you drawing it out to? Just the, I mean, you were talking about the votes, right? That's, that's both sides. Oh, and win at any cost. Yeah. Win at any cost, do what you have to do. We're going to stuff the ballots with fake votes, right? That was happening back in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, what I understand about the most recent national election, though, is that um, that argument was made, the, you know, uh, the, the, the fraudulent vote argument was made over and over again and was prosecuted over and over and over again. And whatever it is, something like tens and tens of times that it was prosecuted, I don't know that it was confirmed, at least not at all on the scale that was being um, argued by folks in Georgia, by folks, by other states in the Deep South, by, well, and and certainly the presidential election. I mean, and the attorneys were sent, you know, to make that push every, you know, every every few weeks, you know, as we were getting, you know, out of November and into the next year, January, um, God, what was our last cycle? 2020? Was that it? 2020, 2021? So, so that's, I mean, that's my response about that. I, I don't disagree that the, that there is corruption on the left and the right. I mean, we are human. We are mm-hmm. acculturated a certain way. There's a certain ruthlessness, um, mm-hmm. not only to our political culture, but um, to our broader culture as far as this is why we have groups with, you know, um, this is why we have uh now gender specific groups, which I think are helpful. Like we're trying to, we're trying to work on things like, uh, uh, you know, to dissolve male uh, toxicity, right? And we are trying to uh, build bridges and get better understanding of uh, folks whose point of view we might not understand. So um, again, if we go back to some of the cancel culture stuff, um, I do think that, like I had already said, that it gets pretty extreme to, you know, knock someone completely out of contention, you know, for the rest of their life, the rest of their career or whatever. On the other hand, I'm like, you reap what you sow. Um, I, you know, if I have said something in the past that where I clearly misspoke and didn't know what the fuck I was talking about, that would be one thing. If I stuck a flag into the ground around some kind of hatred or some kind of, um, you know, uh, 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 abuse or power um, corruption or, you know, something that's completely unethical or immoral, then I'm probably going to pay the fucking cost for that and probably should. And I think, too, what has happened, I I go by uh, Michelle Alexander. She wrote The New Jim Crow. And uh, that was one of the first, that was one of the earlier books. I can't remember when it first came out, but and I can't remember if it predated Obama's um, uh, tenure in the White House, but 
she argues this. She's like, uh, uh, all of us are on a spectrum. We've been talking about this. We've been using that word spectrum or, or bandwidth or whatever this, this, this whole time. And it, it, so let, let's think of a, a needle on, you know, your car's engine. If a needle is, and when we're having, trying to have social discourse, personal discourse, political discourse, um, if the needle is on the red for one of the parties, uh, it's probably going to be a fruitless conversation. That person or both people are steeped in their beliefs and you're, you're fucked to try to get some like constructive dialogue. If it's somewhere where I'm open to it, like I'm steeped in my beliefs, but I'm open to some conversation, some discourse, then great. Then you'll probably debate hard. You might walk away um, with a newer understanding or some nuance of the other person, but you're not going to exactly like, change sides or anything, right? But you will have a broader understanding. You're like, oh, that's, that's, I have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if the, if the needle is anywhere in between, you got have folks from, you know, two different points of view coming together, talking about it, informing one another and seeing if that comes to a, a broader understanding that they, that can then be implemented, um, you know, in, uh, legislation or some other kind of, right. Sociopolitical outcome, right. Mm-hmm. Positive outcome. Um, and I think what is happening right now, my opinion and what is happening is that, when it does come from the left where people are getting shut down for their transgressions, um, I think it's like the, our foot is on the gas right now trying to get a lot of the old hegemonic dominant culture, male dominated um, and white male dominated um, structures, trying to chisel away at that and give room and make room for other folks who do not fit that demographic. And there are a lot of us who don't fit that demographic. And so I think there, it's well-intentioned, but I don't like stopping discourse outright, similar to you, because I just I, I don't think that's fruitful. And I, and I think also people are so hell-bent, like say for me too, um, and this is tricky for me, I got to be careful because I'm a man opining on a very uh, uh, femme or female-centric um, uh, argument and, and, and worldview, but... Um, it's like for so long, for years, for decades, say if you take someone like Bill Cosby, for decades, women were, were being abused by men in power, Cosby, Weinstein, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the cancel part of it, the, the, the hardcore reaction comes because it's like, we are now holding motherfuckers accountable. And this is how we're going to do it. You've mm-hmm. kept your job. You've kept your millions. You've abused and, and assaulted thousands of us, you know, different people in power, different men in power have done this in different, uh, you know, in the entertainment industry, in this industry, in politics, et cetera. We're now going to call you out. And so that's where I sympathize with the ferocity of the argument, the ferociousness of it, right? The the intransigence of it, like, nah, we're going to push the needle all the way and you are done for life. And so that's, that is my understanding of why it is as hardcore as it is, even if at the same time I'm saying in the same sentence, I wish there could be a little more dialogue about it and not, and again, not to just outright, you know, Weinstein should be in prison. Uh, Cosby, I think should as well, but, um, or, and I think that not every person that we point a finger at like that is either of those people or like either of those people. And so, you know, um, I just want to keep a dialogue, even if it is very uncomfortable and even distasteful at times. Because again, like I say, if we stop talking, holy shit, it's, it's, we're in trouble. 
Yeah, so much, so much of what you were just talking about. And like, my brain is just going a million miles a minute. Um, you know, for it, it, it comes, it boils down to bullies, bullies, power, um, intentionality, right? And um, we, you know, when I think about these men who have been in power, I look at them as bullies. That's, that's what they are, bullies. Um, you want something, well, this is what you have to do to get it. And then now you're that person who, oh, well, okay, do I want to just suck it up and do what I have to do to get where I want to go in my career, right? Which I right. can I can talk about that on my personal level because I have had to make very difficult decisions in my life to not um, go against my values and integrity um, to fall into that, right? Um, you know, and and for me, I'm I'm lucky in the aspect of I've never had um, a male boss do that to me. Um, mm -hmm. I, again, I think that comes from my privilege because of my background, and I, there's no man that's going to ever mess with me if they know what my background is because I just. I just know they won't. Um, but I have definitely experienced the um, imbalance of power dynamics and working under leaders who, um, for some reason, didn't like me, didn't like my perspective, didn't, and 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 because I wouldn't kiss their ass, um, I was shut down. My career didn't go anywhere. Um, so I, and I had to make that decision of standing in my integrity and not being a brown nose or an ass kisser or, you know, and, and also my career being hurt for it. Um, and it's not an easy decision. You know, in a lot of ways, I feel like I have um, been my own worst enemy. And instead of just sucking it up and doing what I had to do to get where I wanted to go, that's why I'm not where I'm at. Because I, I couldn't just fall into right, line. right. I, I couldn't just fall into line and, and, and do what and I was this, being told to do, right? Um, and that right, and and what's crucial that piece, that piece is so. I I feel that piece is very much part of being a woman. Now I guarantee that um, as a man, you experience very similar things. Um, but in a different way, right? Because for me, being a woman, we're taught, um, actually, do you, do you think it's okay if I were to read a poem that I've written in regards to this? I think that I, that's, that's fine. Get the poem. And then I think we have just a few minutes left. I have no idea how we're going to wrap this up because it's a huge, right? It's We're talking underneath a huge tent, a, a yes. big old circus, big top tent of an issue. And I want to put out while Christina is looking for this um, poem, uh, two things. One, we'll three things. One, we'll continue to talk about this um, in different iterations, different conversations. Two, I want everyone to hopefully walk away. You know, if you're feeling a little sweat, uh, cold or hot. If you're feeling uncomfortable while you're listening to this conversation, it's okay. And yes. these are the conversations that are rife with discomfort. 
And they stay uncomfortable because we refuse to address the issues behind the conversations, which is entirely the point that Christina and I are making, even if we're coming at it from different points of view. It's like we have to keep talking and work. It's, it, 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 and, and this brings back to, I don't know what point I'm on now, second or third, is that this is also how therapy works. This mm -hmm. is how coaching works. This is how going to your 12-step or your spiritual advisor or your pastor or priest in different ways. And I know that that's all loaded, all those different titles that I've thrown in there. But whoever your mentor or therapist or um, guru is, um, we come to those sessions, I believe, and, and tell me something otherwise, if it's there, Christina, we come to these sessions to be open and honest. And I really feel bad for folks who have like bad therapy sessions and then just mm -hmm. go running for the hills and like, fuck it, I'm never doing it again because there's so much potential there. We are, mm -hmm. we are inculcated. We are acculturated to not share. Mm -hmm. Same as we're talking about politics, we're acculturated to not share our individual lived experience and any sort of political shit that might be wrapped up in that. If I'm a black woman, if I'm a gay man, if I'm, if I'm a non-binary, you know, uh, 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 entertainer, person, teacher, whatever, it doesn't matter how we identify who we are, our personal history, everything that's brought to bear when we come into these individual sessions, oh my God, we are opening ourselves up, right? For review, it feels naked. It's emotionally and spiritually naked. And that's where someone, people like you and I can hold space. Yeah. And again, that's why it's so important to have those vulnerable, difficult shares and discussions in those sessions and also even here. So I hope folks go away from this going, this wasn't just me and Christina trying to get on a soapbox. This is us addressing exactly the discomfort that we yes. address individually as clients and therapists and coaches, and also as people, individuals, and we'll just say for sake of the argument of where we are, individual Americans of all different persuasions, colors, stripes, genders, understandings, religions, all of that lived experience Absolutely. and that's why this is so fucking hard to address yeah and you know it, it i through my training as a therapist i've had to look at um that power that i have within dynamics and it was very difficult for me to wrap my head around the fact that people were actually listening to me and like my, what the things that I was saying was actually mattering to people. Um, cause that was different for me. Like growing up, the things that I had to share, nobody listened to me. Um, so now being in this position and people are listening to me, I'm like, Whoa, wait a second. Okay. I need to, you know, um, really look at this. Right. Mm -hmm. And we, we talk a lot about specifically, and this is why I even started, um, following John to begin with is because he he's so much about being human over being a therapist and like we are we're human casual because, not clinical yeah the casual not clinical right so I'm not perfect I guarantee that there are people that I have worked with that got a bad taste in their mouth about therapy because of something I did or something I said mm -hmm. that I wasn't intending to, right. I wasn't intending to be upsetting or whatever, but we all have to learn. Right. And every day I'm, I'm going to make mistakes because I'm not a perfect, I'm not a robot. 
I mean, and even robots aren't perfect. I mean, come on, technology, you know, crashes all the time. So, um, but I think what, what I have come to the realization and what I always try and do with my clients is explain to them that you're, you're coming to me to help guide you. But my job is actually to help you recognize for yourself things and I will help guide you. I might like, I will, I will, I am that, that therapist that will use your words against you. And the reason I do that is to help you recognize what you're saying and recognize your patterns, right? You mirror back. I mirror back. Exactly. And that's where the magic happens um, in, in the sessions. But for me, I am so adamant with my clients of you're the one that has all the power here. Yes, you're paying me to help guide you, but you're the one that's in control here. And if there is anything that I say or do that you are not happy with, let's talk about it. Because is that a representation of how you are in other relationships? Hmm. Because for, I know for me, I'm always willing to have a conversation and come to an agreement. I am still going to have my boundaries. Now, if my boundaries are not inconducive with yours, whether you're my client or not, just because you're my client does not mean that I can't say, hey, this relationship's not working anymore. And I think that it's best for you to find another therapist, right? Right. Just like I encourage my clients that if you feel that I am not helping you, let me help you find another therapist that you mesh mm-hmm. better with. Because mm-hmm. if you don't feel safe talking to me about everything that you need to talk about, and I mean everything, because I work with a lot of transference and countertransference, right? And you know, yes. with with that comes so much. I mean, working in the treatment centers with teens, do you know how many times I've been mom or I've been dad? or I've been aunt or insert, right? I play a role for some, for the clients as somebody that has been significant in their life. Sometimes that's a really beautiful relationship. Sometimes it's not such a beautiful relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I can go into erotic transference and counter-transference, but that's for a, a different podcast. Um, but anyway. Well, 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 and you know, I mean, my arena is, you know, sex and love addiction and intimacy and all that. So I am very mindful being a male talking yep. to whom, you know, identifying as a cisgendered male. I, I have to be very careful and I'm very, very careful to the best of my ability with who, whatever gender the person is presenting as that we just keep it on the level. There's no intimation. There's no transference as best as I can try, right? We're just talking about the topics and how you can heal that person, meaning you, the client. Mm. And yeah, I've had to dial back a couple of times personality wise and also just address things like you're saying with people be like, we're not going to go there. Um, let's keep it to this, your story and what mm-hmm. we're working on with you. Um, I share my stuff, like you're saying, casual, not clinical all the time. People know my story. I mean, I'm, I'm out that I was even 12 step, right? I mean, I've, I've blown my own anonymity and I'm fine doing that if it helps others. And I think it right. does. Exactly. That said, yeah, it, it's, it, we're in a very intimate scenario, um, in, in our respective, um, gigs. And I really appreciate you talking about that and sort of wrapping up with that. Um, so let's hear your, um, 
poem, and then we'll uh, do a to be continued because I'm sure there's more we have to talk about on this on this uh, huge again circus tent like topic. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I I want to say that I'm going to read this. Okay, my city, my life, the skyline so magnificent. I carry it in my heart everywhere I go. So far from it now, yet my heart aches and rejoices with memories. So much division between so many brotherhoods. Black and blue are more than just colors. They are the suits and skin of those who run my beautiful city. Light and dark, do either even exist? Pushed and pulled between several brotherhoods. What about the sisterhood? Not much there and so much there, but silenced. Shh. Don't give them a voice. They know not what they talk about. So we adjust to fit into whichever brotherhood we feel safest. But what is safe? You grow up being told blue is good and black is bad. Is it? Again, I reiterate, this is about suits, not skin. All skin. We're both suits. Who to trust? Who keeps you safe? Who provides? They both do. Then one day you find out that it doesn't matter because one side owns the other. Again, I ask, where is my sisterhood? Moms, stepmoms, aunts, sisters, cousins, and friends. They are there teaching how to navigate the brotherhoods. Dress this way. Don't eat that cake. Ladies, don't talk back. Know your place. Do well in school, but don't make them feel stupid. Don't worry about his temper. Here's how to soothe it. The teachings have changed over the generations. Don't leave the bar without your friends. Never leave your drink alone. Don't wear too low cut or too short, but show enough because that's what attracts. You still don't want to eat that cake. Here, try this pill. Where's your mace? Where are those suits now? It's the brothers of both who create the need for these teachings to begin. Where are they now? When you discover that black and blue protect you, when you discover both have also abused you, when both are done in the name of love and care, when you realize that all of it matters and none of it matters, when you realize that no one would believe you anyway, do you keep screaming, trying to get the right person to hear you? Who is that person? I don't even know. Do you keep your mouth shut? Don't stir the pot. You can cause a lot of pain for good people. So I sit. I share, but just enough. No one listens anyway. My words are too far-fetched. I'm crazy. How far do you really want to take this? You're a conspiracy theorist. If only you knew. I was there. I lived it. It's not conspiracy. The battle of black and blue. One side started to win, but did they? When you take down one side, the other falls too. Will my city crumble? It already has. That skyline. It will always be there, if only in my memories. That's great. Thank you so much. I think that's entirely appropriate, and I think an entirely appropriate way to end our session today. I always go into these, Christina, going like, we're just going to be 45 minutes, and we end up like an hour, hour and 10. But I appreciate that. I really heard, uh, uh, again, cisgendered male, I really heard the part about all the contradictory shit that women uh suffer that you if, if you're the subject of that i'm not i'm not sure um how personal that was it sounded very personal but the take a pill eat too much don't short skirt but not too much you'll get blamed 
you know, I, I said over a decade ago, even before me too, I used to go like, holy shit. I just got this awareness living in the cities, cities all my life and in LA for like over a decade. I don't have to watch. I don't watch the street in the same way when I'm going to my car. I mean, I do because I was raised in the city where you have to, mm -hmm. but I, it's not a gender specific thing for me just by dint of my gender that, oh, fuck, I better go with a group leave at a certain time, keep my key in my hand as a weapon in case, do I have mace? So I, again, the things that you shared in that poem, I feel like these are the intricacies that we try our best to hold space for. You as a therapist, me as a coach, mm -hmm. again, a mentor, a guide, a guru, a sponsor, and do our best to hear it, not judge and just assist. And if, even if we just have to witness and hold that space, then so much the better. Hopefully that person is, is, is getting something out of the session with us. You know, they're walking away a little bit with a little bit more ease, right? A little bit more understanding of themselves and themselves of the world. And that's why it's important to talk about the larger, larger world we all live in beyond just the individual one-on-one -on -one sessions. And that's how we started this conversation and we'll continue it. We'll continue yeah. it. Any, any, any parting thoughts? And then we'll say, uh, we'll say, we'll bid everybody adieu. Uh, to be honest, I'm afraid to do any uh, parting thoughts because I feel we'll just go off on another tangent. Because <laughs> we'll go for another hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. So, we'll put a pin in it. We'll put a pin in it. Well, yeah, thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing that poem at the end. And uh, everybody, Thanks. this is uh, Christina Fitch and Sean Cardinale signing off for now. We'll be back. You know, let us know what you think about this podcast. This might have not been the more the one you're used to hearing on uh, single on purpose, but um, these are the things we have to talk about, the uncomfortable things, as well as the things that are just right up everybody's alley. So stay tuned for more. Take care. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Sean. Have a good one. You too. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our single on purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life that's singleonpurpose.life you will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, zoom links to private gathers so if you want to join our community go to singleonpurpose.life thank you for listening be well we hope you tell a friend hey before you go i want to invite you to the single on purpose private community online it's off of social media, no ads, no algorithms. We got forums, we got live groups, we got webinars, and we have social hangs. We also have offline in-person hangs happening soon. So check us out. Go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life, and I will see you inside.